I'm going to lead us in prayer as we ask for the Lord to help me and us all. Let us pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, your word speaks to us and all of it is useful for helping us to grow in righteousness, knowing how we may live lives that please you and trust you even in the trials and the things in life that are challenging and hard. And Lord, we pray that you might enable me to speak this word to your people today clearly with boldness, faithfulness, love. Lord, please open all of our ears and our hearts and minds that we might understand what you say, know how you want us to respond. By your spirit, please bring glory and honour to the name of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I wonder what it is you are afraid of. Do you fear growing old? Maybe you fear losing a loved one or losing friends and being alone. Maybe, it's being, maybe you fear being overwhelmed by the kids or your work or your poor health. Do you fear pain or suffering shame for Jesus' sake? What do you fear? Imagine a young child, Charlie, having a nightmare. The monsters are closing in and about to pounce, and then the child becomes aware of being shaken. He opens his eyes and sees the concerned face of his father. Suddenly, everything is okay, and he can smile again. As author Tim Chester says, our problem is that we often think the threats in our lives are the reality and the promises of God are like a dream, a dream world. But, but many of the threats we face are like a dream. We play out the what-ifs and maybes in our mind, creating all sorts of frightening possibilities, but they're not real. They exist only in our imagination. Other problems are all too real, but they are not the whole truth. We need to be shaken by God's word out of our dreamlands in which God is absent and into the real world, the fathered world. We need to open the eyes of faith and see the smile of our heavenly father and the presence of our Lord Jesus. Last week we had a guest preacher I'm sorry we've actually skipped chapter 19 of Deuteronomy. Uh, if you'd like to hear that sermon, I trust that Chris Shaw's sermon from 5pm last week will be on our website soon and you can listen to that. But the teaching on personal violence in chapter 19 now shifts to the violence of war. A war, in some cases, legitimises killing. That's why it's not murder, not a breaking of the Sixth Commandment. And so justice for homicides was covered in chapter 19, and now it's principles for warfare. And also, what particularly, how do we respond God's way in the face of battle? We're going to look at the teaching of Deuteronomy chapter 20 under these three headings, not fearing, destroying, and trusting. So first, not fearing. You'll have an outline in your news sheet if you're wanting to follow along. 
Verse 1, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. So when you face an army of greater number or superior military might, when you are totally outnumbered and outgunned, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Why? I mean, why not fear in the face of a greater enemy, of a great enemy? Because we're told the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Here we're given three reasons to not fear. Three reasons to have faith and not fear. Firstly, God says, remember the past. Remember when you left Egypt and you had the Red Sea on one side and Pharaoh's army bearing down on the other? Remember then how you felt trapped and you were filled with terror? What did God do? He simply blew a wind. Exodus 15 verse 8 says that with the blast of his nostrils, the water piled up. God blew a wind. And then Israel went through the Red Sea on dry grounds. They didn't need to fear then. They don't need to fear now. God saved them in the past. And when they remember that, it will help them to have faith now. Second reason to not fear, the Lord will, the Lord your God will be with you. And do you notice in verse 2, it's not a general at this point who speaks to the people. Rather, it's a priest who gives a sermon to encourage them. And he says, don't be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. He is with you you. God's presence makes faith and courage possible. And and faith is the antidote to fear. Thirdly, verse 4, the Lord will fight for you and give you the victory. That's why they can trust him. Literally, the Lord will save you. So have faith. And then if the army that's opposing them wasn't already great enough, look at verses 5 to 9. God lets more people head home before the battle starts. The principle here seems to be that God's people shouldn't be deprived of enjoying the blessings of the promised land. So people can go back for homes and harvests and honeymoons. If you've not lived in your house yet, you can go home and enjoy it. If you've not tasted the blessings of your land, the work of your hands, go home and enjoy it. If you've not married yet and started a family with your fiancé, then go home for her happiness and for yours. When you hear that, some of you may recall Deuteronomy 24 verse 5, which says a newly married man shouldn't go off to war for a year. I've spoken with a number of people who quote that verse today to justify not serving in the church for the first year of marriage. But these verses don't directly apply to us in the same way. And as followers of Jesus, we serve him in all of life, first year of marriage or not. We shouldn't stop serving others to only serve our spouse because we're newlyweds. 
And so I ask, whatever stage of life you are in now, is Christ number one? Does he matter to you? Serving him, does that matter to you most of all? For Israelites here in Deuteronomy 20, God is saying, don't worry if the size of your army shrinks. Look up and trust the Lord even when others go back to enjoy God's good gifts. For their benefit, some can leave. And others are allowed to leave for the benefits of the army. Verse 8, then the officers shall add, is anyone afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home so that his fellow soldiers will not become disheartened too. More literally, so that he will not make his brother's hearts melt like his own. Fear is contagious, it seems. Fear is contagious. God's people going into battle didn't need to be afraid. They were not to be afraid. It reminded me of Judges chapter 7 when Gideon is going uh, to attack the Midianites and the Lord says anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave. Look at that, 22,000 men left. 10,000 remains. In 2012, the Australian Defence Force rolled out a voluntary course called Faith Under Fire. One army chaplain said, Faith Under Fire is an opportunity to test the strength of our personal spiritual convictions. Will what we believe about right and wrong and life and death be enough to hold us up when the pressure's on? There's research and experience that shows that people who have a strong faith or belief system often survive combat and captivity better than those who don't. And that's not just true in military battles, but in the battles we all face in life. When we're under fire, our faith in Christ will help us endure and stand firm and not give up. As God's new covenant people, we who've been saved by Jesus and who follow him, we too are now called to show faith and not fear. In the face of your fear, God summons you to show strong faith, courageous faith. Sometimes terrifying circumstances come into our lives. And we who fear the unknown don't like the unexpected visions they can bring. Jesus' disciples were terrified one day, one night, when in the middle of a storm, in the dark of night, a figure came walking on the water, approaching their boats. They'd never encountered this, of course. They thought it was a ghost. Did it mean them harm? Jesus allowed for the disciples' momentary panic, but he did not leave them in the dark, not literally or figuratively. His identity was quickly revealed. With these words, remember this, what he said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Christ's presence is the antidote to our terror. 
Jesus calms the storms. He calms the storms whether they rage outside our boats or inside our hearts. One way or another, he brings peace if we rely on his words. Devotional writer Chris T. Green says this, Life is full of circumstances that are terrifying at first glance and can consume us with worries about the future. Financial crises, health crises, spiritual dilemmas, emotional needs and any other visions that threaten us in the storm cause us much stress. But here the disciples learned that Jesus brings growth and faith and rest and guidance. And in your crisis that makes you fear, Jesus comes to us. No, he is with us. He's with us to strengthen, encourage and guide. To us, our crises and battles are threatening. To God, they are the very means he uses to develop us as disciples. They may bear eternal fruits and deeper faith that our terrified eyes cannot at first see. Trust Jesus to bring you safely to solid grounds. End quote. Trust Jesus to be with you in the battle. Trust Jesus to see you through it. From not fearing, we come now to destroying. Moses moves from encouraging the troops to the instructions for battle. And if you look at verse 15, it makes clear that the paragraph before it, or verses 10 to 14, verse 15 makes clear that verses 10 to 14 are instructions for fighting against non-promised land peoples. And to them, Israel is to make them an offer of peace, uh, offer a peace treaty. If they accept, they can become Israel's servants and forced labour. If they refuse, Israel can attack them. The men, the soldiers, that is, can be killed and the women, the kids and everything else can be taken as plunder. These instructions aim to restrict the killing so there's no bloodthirsty free-for-all. Please remember that people could always submit to Israel and join God's people, just like Rahab did. But at that time, to fight Israel was to fight God, the God of Israel. And then we move from taking plunder to totally destroying their enemies. Verse 16, In the cities of the nations, the Lord Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them or devote them to destruction. I'm not going to spend much time on this. You're welcome to listen to my sermon on Deuteronomy chapter 7, where we dealt particularly with that question of how is it just to totally destroy these peoples? Their sin made them deserving of judgment. But here the reason for their total destruction is given in verse 18. They will teach you to follow their detestable practices in worshipping their gods. 
So this isn't about racial genocide, but the theological protection of God's people. It's not a bloodthirsty genocide, but a theological necessity. God is destroying the enemy to his people's faith in him. And they are to trust him and obey him in this. For if Israel intermarries with them or gets seduced by their idols, it will not end well. God is protecting his people from sin and from the judgment that will follow from that. And yet sadly, hundreds of years later, Israel gets destroyed themselves. They get destroyed by Assyria and by Babylon when they turn because they turned their backs on God and worshipped idols. You see, God always justly judges sin and he will destroy sinners who've rejected him and his rule over their lives. God destroyed all humanity except for one family in the flood, Noah's family. And when Christ comes again, everyone who has not been forgiven by faith and submitted to Christ as Lord, they will face God's judgment too. So now is the time to turn back to him in faith and trust. And so this judgment that we read of in Deuteronomy 20 points forward to the final judgment that awaits all people. And we'll come back to that in a moment. In Deuteronomy 20, the final thing that's destroyed in war, but, but not totally, is the trees. And when Israel is attacking a walled city, verse 19, and they want to build siege works to penetrate the city, God says they're not to cut down all the trees. They are prohibited from abuse or rampant, needless destruction, which was common for some other nations at that time. The cutting down of the trees is limited, not indiscriminate. I suggest that's a good principle for the preservation of our forests and our land today. Limited, not indiscriminate. God is concerned for the trees and the environment, but even more so for the people who remain. Did you notice that? That they would have fruit and food to eat in the future. God is most concerned about humanity, and so the destruction is limited. This brings us to our, our third point, our big application for us today, trusting. Deuteronomy 20, then God was protecting his people in the land that he gave them. Now, under the new covenant, God is no longer concerned with military victories for the nation of Israel. The new Israel includes all believers in Christ, Jew and non-Jew, Jew and Gentile. That's us. And now we don't wage war with swords or with guns to protect or extend the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is expanded as people trust in and submit to him as king. And the battles we've been reading about today point ultimately to the final battle to come, 
and the armies of heaven which will come. Look at these words in Revelation 19 at the end of the Bible. Apostle John sees a vision, he says, I saw heaven standing open. There before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. What does he do with justice? He judges and wages war. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sharp sword, verse 15, with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. And that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when Christ comes again, even the devil and all God's enemies will be destroyed in the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20. So just as we read in Deuteronomy 20 verse 4, that God will fight against his people's enemies and bring victory, that is still true. That's still true for us, for our spiritual enemies. Through Jesus, Christ will come to destroy God's enemies. And yet, by Jesus' death and resurrection, he has already defeated our spiritual enemies. God has come in his son Jesus to give us the victory over sin and death and the power of the devil. And so 1 Corinthians 15 says this, The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or in 1 Timothy, sorry, 2 2 Timothy chapter 1, Christ Jesus has destroyed death destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus has won the victory over sin and death and the devil. And so what do we need to do now? We need to trust him. Trust him. If you want to be freed from the rule and power of sin in your life, trust in Jesus. If you want to be freed from eternal death and judgment to come in the future, trust in Jesus. If you want to be freed from any fear of evil or fear of the devil, trust in Jesus. The main point of Deuteronomy 20 was that his people were to trust him when going into battle. And in the battles that we face in our lives now, we need to trust Jesus. Do do you remember those words from the the first reading uh, this morning from Ephesians chapter 6? Let me read there from verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Keep standing. And we do that, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, by putting on the belt of truth. That means we choose to believe the truth. 
We speak the truth, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We believe the truth, we speak the truth firstly to ourselves. We put on the breastplate, trusting in the righteousness that is ours by faith in Christ. We live by faith in the gospel which brings peace. And with the shield of faith, you, I, can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I love the words to this modern hymn. I hope we'll sing it at Bundy here soon. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, strong defender of my weary heart, my sword to fight the cruel deceiver, my shield against his hateful darts, my song when enemy surrounds me, my hope when tides of sorrow rise, my joy when trials are abounding, your faithfulness, my refuge in the night. I don't know what you're battling at the moment. Maybe it's a health or a work or a family challenge. Maybe it's the way that others treat you. Maybe it's doubts or fears that you have in yourself. Please notice from Ephesians 6 that we're told that our, our struggle is not really against other people, not flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil. And the devil wants you, Christian, to deny your God and sin. He wants you to give in to sin. The devil wants you to doubt God and doubt his promises so you give in to fear and despair or you just go off and fix your problem your own way because God's taking too long in doing what I ask. That's what the devil wants. But the shield of faith protects us from his hateful darts, those flaming arrows. To hold up the shield of faith, use it. Christ has defeated our spiritual enemies and he will come again to destroy them. And in the battle and in the face of fear, we need to trust in Jesus, rely on him. Cry out to him over and over and over. We need faith, a courageous faith that refuses to give up. And so when you leave this place today and you go out to war against your enemies, as Deuteronomy 20 verse 1 said, when you go out to war against your spiritual enemies, Trust in your Saviour, the one who is Lord, your Lord and Saviour. I wonder what it is you're afraid of, what it is you battle at the moment. Ed Welch, in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small, he says the fear of man has many symptoms, a susceptibility to peer pressure, needing something from a spouse, a concern for self-esteem, or being overcommitted because we can't say no. Maybe we have a fear of being exposed, or we keep saying small lies 
to make ourselves look good. And the solution to a fear of man is not to find something to boost our self-esteem. We need rather a big view of God. A big view of God so we respect him and worship him and trust him and submit to him. Trust in God is the solution to our fear. Jesus' disciples were fearful of his leaving them. And this is what Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. John 14, Believe in God. Believe also in me. And if you have children, I call you to model trusting Jesus to them. With your biggest needs, like being saved, but also with your smaller needs. Model trusting Jesus when you're sick, when there's conflict, when you're under pressure, when you're worried. Pray for God's grace to trust him more. Pray that with your children. Tim Keller in his book, which I recommend, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he tells the story of a woman called Andy, and I close with her words. I dropped to my knees when I got to the side of the bed, of, the, of my bed. It was time to end the day, but I couldn't yet. The ring had to come off. It was time. That afternoon, a judge had declared my divorce final. Though the demise of our marriage had appeared inevitable earlier, I hadn't stopped wearing my wedding ring, a symbol of my confidence that no matter how hopeless things looked, God could turn them around in an instant. But here I was 30 years later, kneeling alone by the side of the bed. I sobbed. But it wasn't sorrow. I was overwhelmed by an awareness of God's faithfulness through it all. Never had I felt abandoned by him, confused by his allowing life to be excruciatingly hard for so long when I knew he could restore. Yes, on the verge of complete mental, emotional, physical collapse at times. Yes like I'd lost my bearings spiritually. Yes. At one point I had a spiritual crisis and wondered, where was this God I'd been counting on? Was he real? If he was, did he care? I was sobbing and groaning. You say you love me, but I can't square that with what I see happening. This feels cruel. I, I've got to know you are who you say you are, or I cannot go on. I didn't need to know his reasons. I needed him. The next morning, wise words came from a trusted friend. Andy, you need to force feed yourself the scriptures. Through them, the Holy Spirit can speak to places in your heart where human words just cannot reach. 
I opened my Bible and my eyes fell on these words in the Psalms. You, O God, are strong and you, O Lord, are loving. They came like smelling salts to my fainting heart, silencing tortuous fear and doubts. My heart was infused with a deep assurance that he loved me and was very near. I was immediately steadied. Kneeling beside my bed, I was unable to contain my gratitude for God's persistent love through a mess that should have driven him away. Instead, he came closer than ever. As I slipped the ring off, a prayer poured from my heart. Now I want to give you the devotion I thought I would be giving to an earthly husband. You alone are worthy of my heart's whole trust. And it's yours for the rest of my life. Let's pray that God would help us trust him in the battles of our life and give us a faith that overcomes our fears. Let us pray. Lord God, we confess that so often our faith is weak, fails. And so Lord, we pray that you would help our unbelief. You might help us to know that we can stand firm and be strong, not in ourselves or relying on our own resources or strength, but we can be strong in the Lord and in your mighty power. Help us to believe and speak the truth to ourselves. Help us to hold up the shield of faith against our enemies' hateful, fiery darts. Please, God, we pray by your spirit that you would strengthen our face in the war, that, the battle that may rage in our hearts or that's going on in our life at the moment. Help us to keep turning to you, relying on you, trusting in Jesus, the one who is not only sovereign and Lord over all things with all power, but the one who has promised that he will be with us now to the very end. Amen.